Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. My name is Chip DeBlanc, and I am your host. We're a group of law enforcement professionals that talk about today's news and issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. And yes, we're live from the Boss Talk Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. I'm going to go ahead and introduce the crew to you guys if you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show. Uh, yes, we have back retired Sergeant Jamie Borden with Critical Incident Review, uh, the founder of that company. So thanks for being back on the show, Jamie. Appreciate it. Also, Corporal David D. Gresta, retired from a... Uh, the Tampa Police Department, and the Pasco County uh, Sheriff's Office in Florida. So appreciate you both being here. Also, a shout-out to our sponsors. We have Motion DSP, Gauls, GlobalOrdinance.com, Gunler.com, on Medicare.live, and we're fueled by Bang Energy. Uh, matter of fact, you know, I think I mentioned on one of the previous shows that Bang actually has been acquired by Monster, so watch for some great things coming down the pike on that. Uh, the Woodland Watermelon Sweet Iced Tea is what I'm drinking today. Good stuff. And, uh, yes, that allows me to talk so fast. Uh, hey, also a shout out to Brian Burns for the free press at TampaFP.com. Thanks for hearing our content. Ray Dietrich, Red Voice Media at RedVoiceMedia.com. You know, we're streaming the eight locations right now. No, YouTube is not one of those, but we are on Rumble instead at Rumble.com. But three of those locations belong to Red Voice Media. And those three Facebook pages alone have about one million followers. So thanks to Ray Dietrich and Red Voice Media for helping make that happen. Guys, we have a, uh, another great lineup. No main topics today. Uh, those have a tendency to be a little bit deeper anyhow. So we're going to jump right into it uh, with an update story. And, but we have some great stuff that we're going to be covering. And actually, a story with a video component that we did not have time to get to yes, yesterday. I'm glad that we have Jamie and Dave on today's show for that with a motor cop. Uh, it, it's, a great, it's a great video. So at lawofficer.com, we have a judge ruling in favor of seven state troopers who lost their jobs over refusing to get the COVID-19 shot. So, yes, we're talking about the vaccine. So, Framingham, uh, Massachusetts, so seven troopers with the Massachusetts State Police who were previously suspended due to a COVID-19 vaccine mandate, they have finally won their legal battle with the Massachusetts government. And as a result, they're going to be reinstated to their positions according to the State Police Association of Massachusetts, so their union. Uh, wow. It's taken a while to get there because, you know, what COVID went down in 2020, then the vaccine was you know prevalent around 2021, right at the tail end of 2020, and, and just now are they getting this thing squared away? A new release or a news release from the state police union said that an independent arbitrator found that the troopers had their rights uh, to anti-discrimination and affirmative action violated, according to Fox News. According to the police association, former Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker and the Department of State Police did not provide the troopers with quote reasonable accommodations to their sincerely held religious beliefs unquote. Now, Baker, uh, the governor, signed an executive order requiring all executive branch employees to provide proof of the COVID-19 shots by October of 2021. Guys, that's almost two years ago. Or face disciplinary action, including possible termination. So these guys have been on the porch for, what, almost two years? Following the arbitrator's ruling on Friday, seven state troopers will be reinstated and awarded their full seniority rights and all their benefits minus any interim earnings or unemployment compensation they got, according to the news release. So they'll get paid all the lost wages, except for money maybe they made up doing other jobs, yada, yada. Uh, Patrick McNamara, president of the union, the State Police Association of Massachusetts, he said, quote, earlier today, I had the distinct honor and privilege of informing seven of our troopers who have been suspended without pay due to Executive Order 595 that they would be returning to work. This fight began in October 2021 when the association filed a grievance on their behalf. Wow. Huge news. Um, commentary. Jamie, you want to start us off? Yeah, I first of all, hats off to the to the union for fighting like they did in that case. And uh, I, I can't say enough about that. The concerns that come up and first of all, 
that whole mandate thing that happened across the country, I watched people struggle with that uh, day in and day out. And it was awful. It's a choice. Forget about religion. Forget about all those things. It's a choice. And I don't know one person that got that vaccine that didn't end up with COVID in some fashion or another. So um, in, in myself included. So um, and, and it's concerning. But what I will talk about, and especially for those officers that are out there listening right now, um, if you don't have representation like that, and uh, I'm, I'm not a union guy, I'm not selling the FOP, but I will tell you that as an expert, uh, the FOP brings in uh, h- highly qualified experts and the associations that bring in uh, these experts to, to fight these battles, man, it's well worth it. Um, and here's the other uh, concerning issue I've got is that these officers struggled for two years. Forget about everything they got back. Forget about the win that they've got. What happens and what has happened to them over this last two years and, and fighting that battle and what's it done to the culture of that department? I mean, this is such deep rooted uh, information that has to be considered in trying to bring morale back up. It's a first step, but those officers have certainly lost a part of themselves that just is going to take years and years and years to come back if it ever does. You know, great point. David, you yourself, I mean, I know you've been on the porch before. I've endured a, 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 a well, I've endured what? a criminal investigation and a, uh, and, and a, and a IA investigation. So we both know what it's like, but two years without pay, that's, that's, man, that's tough. Yeah. It, especially without pay. Now that that's, that's the, the, the ticket there. I mean, anytime that I've been on the porch, <laughs> it was always, you know, it, it was always with, you know, pending investigations and the like. Um, so, you know, you, you look at stuff like this and to Jamie's point, when he talks about, you know, the, the considerations of, of what these officers had to go through, what the, the union in those places, not, and not, not just Massachusetts, but any place that is still fighting some of these suspensions or firings. Um, it's, it's, it was astounding to me to watch these jurisdictions just basically double and triple and quadruple down on it saying, I don't, we don't care. We don't care. We don't care in this full on panic mode that they went into across the country about vaccines and all the, all that stuff. And the, the very good arguments that officers or these unions would bring them and say, Hey, you know, what about this? How can you force, how can you mandate? How can you, Oh, we're doing it. We're doing it. And we all sat and watched it and said, you know, in a few years, a couple years, couple, three, four years, this is going to come back and start biting some jurisdictions in the in the butt. And we're starting to see that now, as we've said on many occasions, when things start working their way through the legal system, slowly but surely, in the end, they end up getting ground out in the in, in, on the other side of it. And, and coming out in, in a lot of the ways that we predicted. Um, and this is one of those things. And you're seeing it not only just in Massachusetts, but across the country. So it's, it's hopefully, it's a lesson. Hopefully the lesson is, is learned and noted and put in a Rolodex somewhere where they go, okay, let's not do this again. Um, instead of firing officers, dismissing officers, depleting your manpower, not only your de- the manpower getting depleted because of the COVID itself, as Jamie said, everybody that got a shot got it anyways. So you're not only depleting your manpower that way, but now you're firing officers that that would have worked in the same 
way that it, without the vaccine, it, it was just a just a, a a group of bad decisions that are now finally, after two or three years, starting to come to light as being bad decisions. Yeah, and I'm uh, and I'll tell you, uh, David, I'm super happy to see. Hey, there's two sides to this. I'm, I was super pleased to see the convictions of those officers to just not give up the ghost on that because um, a lot of people had to do it to maintain their living and convictions were on that on that balancing point. Um, my brother, being one of them, who was a retired police officer working for a, a, a large uh, security agency now, um, and, and the only advice I had for him is, listen, man, stick to your guns, but just be prepared to live a life uh, that results from your convictions. Right. And these officers were, and I, I, I'll tell you, my, my heart goes out to them for hanging in there and, uh, and my applaud for the union for getting them, getting them back what they deserve, uh, a fraction of what they deserve, I should say. But, uh, yeah, hats off. Yeah. You know, people just don't realize unless they've gone through something like this, you know, what it's like. And, and, and look, and what David and I have been through, and I'm sure Jamie's got his own stories, like he just mentioned with his brother, but uh, it, it's difficult. I mean, David, and, and I'm gonna, I am gonna, need to get that story back up at, at Rumble because um, it's, it's gone off of YouTube, but you know, David was accused of, uh, of rape on duty. They came and took his car, put him on the porch, um, took his car, and, were, and were, they were processing it for evidence. David knew he hadn't done it, but he knew what was coming down the pike, so he had witnesses. He uh, went through toll booths. He was on his phone yeah. to prove that. That, that, but anyhow, even when even when he got cleared, the chief of police refused to take him off the suspect list in the police report. It took David a year to get that girl in court to admit that she had lied about the accusation. And it was all because she was married and didn't want her husband to know she was cheating on her husband and got involved in a signal, th you know, hit and run accident and stuff. And that was just just a horrible, a horrible thing to have to go through. And that that hanging over his head for a year, you know, before he was able to get his name cleared through efforts only of, of, of his own, not not anyone else's. And then. You know, then, then, then my thing, you know, I'm going through a 17 month, you know, uh, you know, seven month criminal and then an IA investigation that lasted over a year and a half and then finally getting cleared. But just, oh my gosh, the stress of, uh, of not knowing it, sometimes it doesn't necessarily matter whether you're right or whether you're wrong because bad things can still happen to you. And that's why, that's why Jamie does what he does, because sometimes it's just not just because you did nothing wrong. Doesn't mean you can't get jammed up. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's some scary stuff. And at least we got paydays during that, but wow. Yeah. And, I mean, and the, go ahead. Sorry about that. David. Well, being, being on leave, you know, with pay is, is versus just getting released. That's too gigantic. I mean, that's a huge difference there, but I will say that having, having a, the strength of your convictions, knowing that you did nothing wrong, knowing that you are right. And, and knowing that, Sooner or later, as however long it takes the system to grind itself through these this process, whatever the process is, and you have that faith that it's going to come out in the end, that is a, that's a huge part of it. Now, without pay, that's that's tough. All right, Jamie, you got about ten seconds. Yeah. And and yeah so one of the things is remember that uh, a witness's statement or facts that are believed by someone of authority are going to be believed over and above the officer in nearly every case and that's a danger for us all as well thank you jamie commercial break we'll be right back guys all right you know motion dsp they've been supporting the law enforcement profession for over 15 years 
with a robust suite of video and audio redaction and enhancement software. Now, Motion DSP software, it's easy to use. It requires no specialized training or expertise, and you can save valuable time with Spotlight's one-click automating tracking feature and forensic suite of enhancement filters to achieve results quickly in just three steps, import, process, and export. Now, Spotlight, it's built specifically for redaction. It's designed to work with video from any camera source, and using Motion DSP's algorithms and object tracking technology, it automates the process of blurring faces and other identifiable information, and it saves users countless hours compared to manual frame-by-frame -frame redaction and forensic enhancement software that allows users to quickly analyze and process any video file format using patent super-resolution algorithms and enhancement filters to reveal an unseen level of detail. And you can actually get forensically valid evidence from just low-quality video in minutes instead of hours. So you can learn more about all these products and all these capabilities, motiondsp.com. All right, guys, and so welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. We're still live from the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. And guys, if that's everything on the last topic, well, I think it's time to move on to the next one. So, yes, we've got a story with a video component on police1.com. It's titled, Bystander Provides Aid as a Suspect Fires an Officer's Gun During a Struggle. So Amarillo, Texas, guys, listen how this goes down. I can't wait to get the uh, the feedback from you all on this one. So video captures the moment a bystander helps an Amarillo Police Department officer struggling with a suspect during an arrest. So on Friday, the Amarillo motorcycle officer is conducting a traffic stop. He learns that the driver he stopped has an outstanding warrant. So the officer attempts to arrest the driver, but of course the suspect starts the fight and then he flees the scene, according to the News Channel 10. So the officer started a foot pursuit which leads him to bringing the suspect down on the ground, and it happens in an alley. And while they're struggling on the ground, the suspect reaches for the officer's gun. So in the video, there's a bystander, or good Samaritan, if you will, is seen showing up, and he's helping the officer with the suspect. And, and right about that time, the suspect reaches for the officer's gun a second time, and a shot goes off. I mean, you see the, the officer's the pants on his pants leg below it. I mean, you see it. It looks like it maybe grazes his leg or, or, or hits him in the leg. And it, it, so the article does say the officer's grazed by the shot and he continues to hold the bad guy down though, with the good Samaritan helping him out. And after backup arrives, and it seems like it takes what five minutes for the cavalry to finally get there. In fact, the first one, there's a motorcycle cop, but the suspect is finally brought under, under control and arrested. The officer was treated at the scene and transported to a hospital, but was not seriously injured. So 
That's the way that goes down. A wild video component to this, and, and we're describing great detail what's going on for our audio listeners. So, Corporal David, you want to start us off? Yeah, wow. Um, you know, the, this is uh, how do you how do you do this gently? The we've gone over this a bunch of times before, and it's an example, another example, I believe, of officers, police officers losing their ability or never getting the training for what I call always call arrest technique. Um, and at this point in time, when you're in a foot chase with a guy that's already pushed and shoved and fled from a scene, it's it's an arrest. That's your intent. You're not chasing this guy for, for any other reason other than to place him under physical arrest. The cop catches him, and this is on a, a, a security camera in an alleyway, um, and takes him to the ground, gets on top of him, is pinned to the ground, and the cop is a pretty good size. And the guy's scrambling around underneath him, and the cop is holding him down, trying to trying to do something, I'm not sure exactly what, and then gets sideways on the guy. And, and the, the part initially that you see the guy's hand come up and grab a hold of the, the cop's gun, and initially, you know, the, the police officer sees it and he kind of pushes his hand off, and then he, he shifts around, shifts again a little bit more sideways, and then you can see the bad guy's face but underneath and beside the, the officer looking, he's literally looking at the gun in the holster and reaches up with his hand and is manipulating with manipulating the firearm with, with his hand right there. And the cop, there's no reaction from the cop whatsoever. It just is going on. Um, I've said this before about, you know, about certain martial arts. People, oh, if, if, if you could teach cops everything about Brazilian jiu-jitsu would be wonderful, and that would be it. It'd be great. You know, I, I'm a fan of all of that. Fantastic. But the thing that you have to remember is anytime you get into a struggle, it's an armed struggle, and it's armed because the cop is bringing a gun, a taser, pepper spray or mace, a, 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 a nightstick of some sort, oftentimes a knife, a pocket knife. They're bringing that into the fight. So it's an armed confrontation. And as a police officer, you've got to have that in your mind. You can't just lay there on top of this guy and use your body weight to hold him down, which which is effective. But at some point in time, you've got to protect your weapons. And this guy didn't. I couldn't. It, obviously, the gun came out of the holster to some point. You couldn't see it on that side of him. And the shot goes off. And then there's a continued struggle. And then all of a sudden, the gun appears in the cop's hand. And I think it was in his left hand. And then on the left side of the guy, he, he actually lays it on the ground and doesn't have control of it. The, the whole thing was a, was got really messy uh, in that in that instance. And this is a a prime example of the importance, I believe, of training uh, handgun or weapon retention. All of the stuff on your belt, whatever it happens to be, re retaining that stuff when you're in some sort of a physical conflict. Um, it came out good in the end. The, the other cops finally got there, and I mean, wow, that took forever. And what what really drives you crazy when you're in that sort of situation? Most of us have been there. You see the your your backup driving by, you know, on the other end of the alley. You're going, no, 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 I'm here. As they're they're going by one way and the other way, trying to find you. But yeah, I, I could feel the pucker factor. But the, the the citizen was helping. Once they got him pinned down, got the gun secured. You know, he was okay, and they went to jail. Hopefully, he got appropriately charged. But but that's. That's training, guys. You you got to teach to go hands on. You cannot rely on tools. You got to go hands on and know how. All right. 
Thank you, Jamie. Yeah, and and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a slightly different pathway on this uh, than David. And David's got some very valid points regarding training, and I call that RCA. What do we want to replicate? What do we want to change? And what do we want to avoid? And that uh, that obviously has to do with the critique, if you will, of an incident. Um, one of the things that he talked about is this CCTV camera that's up into, I believe, uh, the rear of the officer that shows the suspect looking over at the weapon. And, and I think one of the primary components is that's not the view that the officer had. The officer had no idea, or we can't assume he had any idea that that suspect was looking at or targeting his weapon at that time. The officer's engaged. And, and I want to take that one step further in the investigative aspect of what I'm talking about here. That good Samaritan that comes in and helps that officer uh, take control of him. I, I, I want to know how many of you realized uh, that that good Samaritan, after it was all over, got up and approached the officer to see if he was okay. And that officer didn't acknowledge him as as helping at the time. And he finally turned to him and says, and we hey, we got to go to commercial break, Jamie. Yep. So I'll tell you what, just hold that thought and we will be right back. All right. Hey, you guys know about Gauls, right? I mean, Gauls.com slash Leo. And hopefully Corporal David can help me out with this one. You know, Gauls is the country's leading uniform clothing, equipment, and gear provider for law enforcement. They have a variety of offerings, everything from multi-tools and flashlights to duty belts and tactical gear. And as our panelist, Captain Brett Bartlett, always says, they pretty much have everything for, for law enforcement except for guns and ammo. Uh, so, Corporal David, do you know what's going on at, uh, at Gauls this week? I know you're a huge fan. Yeah, I mean, they've still got specials on canine gear and the, the, the bags and carriers going on. Um, 511's got some stuff going on there. The tactical bags, and like I said, go to that deals section in the menu item. They they got, I can't even list all the stuff they've got going on there. Just great, great, great deals. Gauls.com slash Leo, and you know we are, haven't given away our two fifty dollars gift cards this week yet, so be watching for that to happen. It can happen at any time. Gauls.com slash Leo, please check it out, guys. Now look, that brings us to our newest sponsor, Global Ordnance. So get ready for a coupon code from Global Ordnance, your ultimate destination for ammo. So GlobalOrdnance.com. They provide high-quality ammunition for all of your shooting needs, ensuring precision, reliability, and unmatched performance. So for a limited time, they're offering free shipping. You heard that right, free shipping on all ammo orders. They're over $200 with their exclusive coupon code, which just happens to be Leo Roundtable. So visit globalordinance.com today. Explore their wide selection of ammo. Use coupon code Leo Roundtable for free shipping on your order. Again, globalordinance.com. Let's talk about Medicare insurance options. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County alone. Now, the benefits can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific health care needs? The answer is simple. Contact MyMedicare.Live or call area code 813-245-6656, especially if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Talk to James or Bobby. Meet with them in person. They'll save you money on your medication co-pays. Find plans that your doctors accept and get more of the benefits that you qualify for. So again, MyMedicare.Live. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. We're still live at the Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. Uh, Jamie, sorry to uh, to break you up. I know we were talking about the uh, the last use of force and a spectacular one of that with the motor cop, but uh, go ahead and continue on, please. Yeah, my apologies for the time blindness. Um, yeah, so it, one of the things I found really interesting about it is in consideration of all the things we were looking at is that he, the uh, officer didn't realize 
Now think about what that means for the focus of attention. He was surprised and he reaches out to shake the guy's hand sometime after when he realizes that was the person involved. So, you know, what the video shows and what we expect that the officer knows or uh, any of those components really can't be, uh, we can't, we can't assume any of those facts. And, and I just, those are the, those nuances that I look for in these videos. So uh, thanks to that, that private citizen that, that uh, jumped in and helped because that officer was getting fatigued. Like you said, it took the cavalry five minutes to get there. We run out of steam in about a minute and a half, you know, and, and everything was a struggle after that point. And he certainly was at a point where deadly force would have been justified in that case. Thank God it didn't happen. Uh, remembering that just because we can doesn't mean we should. And uh, the officer did, uh, uh, you know, in my opinion, a great job. Now to David's point, what do we want to replicate? What do we want to change? And what do we want to avoid? That goes into the training and the critique of that event, not necessarily the investigation. All right. Thank you. David. Yeah. And, and to, to, all, to Jamie's points on all that, I think that it, it does, it makes a very um, obvious transition into the, the training aspect. Like you said, what, what do we want to, what do we want to do at this point? How do we look at this scenario and what do we want to do better? Um, for our officers, and and I and I to my point, the thing that is that stood out to me was was that what appeared to be the the not knowing that being so focused, getting the what they call tunnel vision, or you know any number of other psychological occurrences when you are in a stressful situation, and and so and being able to train through that, so that those officers or that officer, it doesn't. It's not quite as prevalent the next time. He is able to say, "Okay, I've got to protect my firearm." And and is and what is my body position in relation to the the bad guy? And what is he doing toward my firearm? And so it's it's that training aspect that comes in afterwards from looking at that scenario to say, "Okay, how do we do better next time?" Right. Yeah. And I'll tell you, how about? I mean, even though it, let's say it took five minutes for the cavalry to get there, does it not seem, guys? that it takes so much longer for them to get there when you're the cop on the ground, right? It's just like it takes forever, doesn't it? And especially when that officer is in such a, uh, there's such an, a, a mental focus on survival at that point. And what happens is called tachypsychia. It's the speed of the mind. The more the more information we're processing in that time, the longer it can seem. And and you know, not not having to the chance to talk to that officer, I can only imagine that that seemed like a vacation <laughs> on a Mayan beach, right? I mean, just like yeah. a long time. It really uh, it, it seemed long to me watching the video, and I'm thinking, and I'm stressing out. I'm feeling the emotional conductivity of that video. And just, I'm wondering where are these guys at? You know, I hear them on the radio, but I'm not seeing them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, or, I'm, I'm with you, David. Or, or hearing them, you hear a siren off in the distance, then it goes away, and you've got a strange, uh, a strange thought of a vacation on a Mayan beach there, Jamie. If that's, if that's your yeah. idea of it, <laughs> <laughs> always working, brother. <laughs> yeah, you know, but uh, yeah. So anyhow, a lot can be taken away from this. So, uh, so uh, thanks for the commentary. Appreciate it, guys. You know, I've got another one coming up. Um, we're still at Rumble, still in our favorite uh, uh, law enforcement video channel called This Is Butter. Um, so we have a uh, a San Francisco. So we're going to jump to California here. San Francisco PD fatally shoots a man who pulled out a gun towards officer during an unrelated arrest. Ain't got no warrant. Ain't no fucking police, nigga. Ain't no police. Bitch ass 
nigga. Come on, come on. It's okay. Don't worry, nigga. Ain't no fucking police, nigga. I said so the fucking royal. Now yeah. tell me something, nigga. You need a backup. And I need to do what? Backup, you need a backup. I'm coming right here. I'm coming right here. Run my mama's show. I'm coming right now. Fuck you. So another example on always being aware of your surroundings and uh, and knowing what's going on. So police said that a man, a 41-year-old guy named Ryan Bluford, he was armed with a handgun and raised it towards officers moments before they opened fire. So I think that we can automatically assume that this is the bad guy in the story, okay? So Ryan Bluford, or BG. Uh, so San Francisco Police Department, and, and this is, of course, the department, well, not just the statewide agency where they want you to exhaust all your less lethal options, but San Francisco has gone overboard in that area where we've seen a lot of uh, innocents get injured or killed because they've really have gone overboard in that area. Uh, but they had previously said that they were in the area before the shooting. And they saw an unrelated suspect who had a felony warrant. So while talking or while taking that man in the custody, Blueford, our bad guy, shows up at the scene, allegedly demands that the officers free this guy who they've already taken in the custody. So officers on the scene said that Blueford continued to yell at them to release the man. And look, this guy, typical, you know, bad guy. Look, he's armed. They don't know it yet. Um, he's got with some kind of like a, um, uh, a bulge in his jacket, which I was, you know, looking at because it looks like it's weighted. But he's animated. He's angry. You know, you can't help but, but put your attention, all your attention on him, which, of course, now your officer's safety is, is taken away from other areas and focused on him. And then he pulls up a shirt to reveal a handgun that is tucked in his waistband. So police said the officers told Blueford to put his hands up or to get down on the ground uh, more than two dozen times. Ultimately, our bad guy refuses and he raises the gun and he points it at the officers. Now, police said that that is when two officers finally open fire on our bad guy and they strike him. And it says that here's a quote saying, Mr. Blueford looked toward the patrol officers and with his right hand, removed the handgun from his waistband and held it um, at his side. 
And then Bluford immediately raises the, the handgun in his right arm to an extended position and points the handgun at the patrol officers. An officer involved shooting occurred, and a patrol officer, uh, one, fire his department issued rifle. At least he had the rifle out, and the officer number two, fire his department issued handgun. And during the uh, virtual meeting, uh, the agency identified the officers involved in the shooting, and uh, it goes on to say that our bad guy was pronounced dead. Not a shock. So uh, commentary on this, gentlemen. I'm curious here the the uh, the breakdown. Jamie, you want to start us off first, or oh, you want oh, David he, to go? He's okay. going to push it off to me. Yeah. I see how this is going to work. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's not a problem. I don't have a problem with that at all. You know, this is another. This is another. Um, this is more evidence of the collapse of law enforcement in California. And thank God, Jamie's going to go out there and try to teach the DOJ some uh, very important information on how to investigate and how to deal with um, law enforcement involved shootings and, and, and actions there. Um, you have a scenario where there is a, a physically and verbally aggressive person um, putting themselves into the middle of a police action where they've, they've arrested someone. And, and, and I didn't hear one time any officer tell this guy back up you're going to have to give me give some space. You can stand over there and yell and scream all you want, but you've got to back up. Because this guy got so close to them on several occasions with clenched fists. And, I mean, just, just over-the-top aggressive verbiage and phys his physical aggression toward them was, was unmistakable. To the point where, if it was me, he would have been in custody within the first couple of seconds of this going on. Somebody would have gone hands-on. He would have been on the ground. No, this just isn't – I'm just not going to allow this to occur around multiple officers that are involved in another scenario. Somebody's going to have to deal with this guy, and they never did. They just, uh, mamby-pamby, whatever, which is the breakdown of law enforcement in these places like San Francisco. They've been neutered, as we would say, until finally the guy just works himself up and works himself up and finally produces the firearm. And even then, even then when they know he has a firearm and they're standing there for, I don't know how long yelling at him over and over and over, did they think that the 21st time that they yelled at him, he would comply or were they going for 25? What, what's the magic number that you yell at somebody, a command to think that, at, okay, one more time and he'll comply until he finally pulls the gun out and points. They were so late on everything. It, it was, it's just, it was just terrible. Um, they, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Nobody else got hurt. So if they're, if they're, if you have the attitude, well, all's well that ends well in police work, that's the wrong attitude. Um, because your luck's going to run out if you, if you operate under, under those, under that kind of a auspice. So no, they, they, as usual in San Francisco, have lost their ability to do police work. Uh, endangered themselves, civilians, you name it, and um, allowed this guy to go way too far before they finally took appropriate action. For him to have to point that firearm at them before they <laughs> responded is meh. And uh, I, I can, I, and I agree 100% with what you're saying, David. And and the so there's the difference in my pathway and, and yours is that I'm I'm forced to analyze what actually happened, not what could have, would have, or should have happened. And I, and I, that has to do with the investigative process. So you're right. The officers uh, ended up 
shooting our bad guy and uh, all was well that ended well. However, when we think about that engagement component, when are they going to engage? When are they, uh, when can they engage? And, you know, Graham versus Connor states that you don't have to wait to be shot to engage a suspect. So we'll pick it up here uh, in another 10 seconds, huh? All right, perfect. Hey, guys, it's time for our last commercial break, but we will be right back. You know, no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. GunLearn.com, though, they've taken the confusion out of learning and they've actually made it easy. GunLearn.com is the first and it's the only company that offers a step-by-step program that takes you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, accurate, and competent certified firearm specialist like our panelist, Captain Brett Bartlett. Now, they provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to assure accuracy in their training. It's approved by major forensic organizations, by law enforcement agencies, and also firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that LEOs, that's law enforcement officers, need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. Now, you can start today with online training, or you can register to attend a live seminar, and you can actually get free training for yourself and all the personnel of your agency by hosting a seminar at absolutely no cost. So come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at gunlearn.com. That's gunlearn.com. All right, guys, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Law Enforcement Talk Show. We're still live, Boss Hog Radio Studios in Plant City, Florida. I know, uh, Jamie, you were uh, breaking down a use of force force. And hey, at the tail end of this, Jamie, I want you to talk about critical incident review and any uh, any special things that you guys have coming up that people want may want to plan on attending. But uh, But the floor is yours. Thanks. And I'll, I'll make this quick. And uh, I, uh, the bottom line is, is that there was, as David said, there was overwhelming threat cues in this, his behavior, his demeanor, his failure to, um, he was just basically aggressively and combatively non-compliant for a weapon and uh, has the opportunity to pull that weapon from his pant line and then is engaged by officers and and they engaged when they believed it was um appropriate and and that's all good uh the question is um had it gone a different way when we talk about you know critiquing and uh replicate change and avoid uh where is the ninth circuit in general in engaging individuals who are verbally malevolently uh showing malevolent behavior uh, obviously non-compliant and quite potentially armed as this subject was, it's a dangerous place to be. Our officers are doing a great job under this kind of scrutiny. And when this thing uh, goes into litigation, there's going to be a lot of issues. Why didn't you give him different commands? Well, different commands. If he's not listening to one command, he's not going to hear a different command, but that's actually the way that society thinks about these things. Well, he didn't do that. You should have told him to do this. Um, it, it just doesn't work like that. Um, yeah. So critical incident review, just real quickly. Um, the, the company that my that I founded and uh, I've got a, a team of people working with me, we basically provide an education and certification courses in um, enhancing force investigations, learning how to investigate controversial use of force encounters, getting uh, the optimal complete information out of that investigative process, uh, understanding that accuracy may wane and that there's a reason for 
accuracy issues when it comes to an officer's account. So we cover a, a, a myriad of those issues, including human performance factors, uh, decision-making, memory issues, things of that nature, and how we elicit the most valuable and complete information out of a uh, out of an, a case that we're conducting either an investigation or a review and analysis of. Now, as far as training goes, do you have anything coming up that our listeners or if you've got a command, we have maybe a command staff level uh, person watching our show that's hey, say, from a training perspective or maybe hiring an expert witness for a, a specific case. How do they uh, what, what do you have coming up as far as training and how do they get a hold of you? Um, I can be reached through criticalincidentreview.com. I try to keep that my central uh, contact hub. And yes, we do have, um, we've got a, a leadership perspective to force analysis, which which is, uh, it's a slightly shorter class. It's not a certification course, but it exposes leadership to the information that our investigators are gathering and presenting so that our leaders can make educated decisions at that decision level where uh, an internal adjudication is required or you know potential discipline or policy change any of those things that might surface from an incident remember we have to make a decision about what we need to replicate change or avoid that's the purpose for these investigations. They've got a purpose. It's not just to hang an officer. It's not just to identify criminal behavior or policy issues. We have to do something to make law enforcement better. That's what that class is about. And um, they're available. If you jump on criticalincidentreview.com, we've got multiple classes happening between now and the end of the year from Delaware all the way to uh, Arizona. So find one that's close to you and we hopefully will see you there. Sweet. And, and just out of curiosity, Jamie, and, and, and guys watching the show, we have not discussed this. I'm just curious, you know, if we're doing this as long as we have, so many times we'll see a chief, a sheriff, or, or, or a mayor uh, <laughs> have the microphone. And in the middle of an investigation or right after an incident, before even all the facts have been gathered, they're already given critiques over, over what happened. Normally negative, but not always. But um, do you cover stuff like that in, in, your, in your seminars? Absolutely. And and basically what it is, is a knee-jerk reaction to a video or evidence that is emotionally conducive, right? So okay. uh, somebody watches a video and they, they see that video for what the video presents, not what the officer experienced. And that emotional conductivity elicits a narrative and that narrative is is almost never accurate right it's it 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 comes with no analysis and that's the important aspect that we have to look at is the analysis of the evidence in those cases yeah oh we've we've just seen and sometimes once that story you know once that narrative gets started it's 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 just even if it's completely wrong it's just hard to shut down sometimes so uh well and here's you make a great point about that chip and i'll finish with this if we try to educate someone after a critical incident, we are advocating and excusing the behavior. If we educate someone prior to an incident in this area, then we're explaining that officer's behavior, right? We're not excusing. We're not advocating. We're explaining and educating. And that's a big difference. So explain, educate is my mantra to avoid uh, excuse and advocate. I like, I like the way you think. <laughs> yeah, and and to, to follow that down the road as as you look at some of these jurisdictions that apparently have fallen into, um, like you said, the Ninth Circuit, uh, California, Portland, Seattle, uh, the, these other places that seem to be in total anarchy, uh, anti-police, you know, defund the police, and and that sort of thing. Um, you see the results of what you were just talking about, where the police become 
the pariahs. They become the the scapegoats. They become the blame it on them uh, people. And you have places now that have devolved, like San Francisco, you know, devolved into this homeless, crime ridden, uh, you know, city. That um, how do you? I mean. Uh, how do you educate people out of that? I mean, that becomes the the almost insurmountable uh, chore to then get that back and put law enforcement in the place that it should be. How do you educate people out of that? And and that's our that's our cross to bear, so to speak, David. And and it's uh, that's why I, you know, I've been retired for five years, and I have never worked harder than I have over the last five years in attempting to educate and uh, explain through science, through the existing studies and the existing data, how and why police officers make the decisions that they and what they are allowed to do by statutory rules and laws and federal laws. And, and it, it's work. And we, we have to do it one class at a time. We have to do it one person at a time. Um, we're seeing some results, but we've got a, we've got a long road ahead of brother. That's for sure. Well, guys, yeah, and, um, and the, the, the results what, are obvious. What happens? Well, thank you, gentlemen. Hey, I do want to cover this last story. we got less than two minutes left. So at LeoAffairs.com, the title, and we just touched on it yesterday. I had uh, producer Dave read the title, but it, I will not be a Judas. Minneapolis police officer stands by his convictions as he's sentenced to prison for George Floyd's death. So uh, this uh, update came out on August the 7th. So officer Taltho, uh, uh, the last former Minneapolis police officer convicted in state court for his role in the death of George Floyd, he was sentenced on Monday to almost five years in prison. Here's a quote saying, I did not commit these crimes and my conscience is clear. I will uh, not be a Judas nor join a mob in self-preservation or betray my God. So Hennepin County Judge Peter Cahill was not satisfied with the officer's statements and said that he hoped for uh he said that he hoped uh, for more than just preaching from the officer. So after three years of reflection, I was hoping for a little more remorse is what the judge said. So a thousand attorney, which is Robert Paul, uh, said that they will appeal the decision. Uh, but that's what we have. And, you know, uh, we have uh, Bob Kroll from Minneapolis. He's a retired lieutenant Minneapolis you know, police department and the former union leader. You know, his wife, Liz Collin, wrote that book. You know, they're lying all about insight in the, into uh, Derek Chauvin and George Floyd, let me tell you, what a wake-up call. Uh, Jamie, we had about 30 seconds, buddy. Um, I, I, all I can say is that it's disturbing. I stand behind the officer. I, I think about what the expectations are. That officer had very little time on the street. Uh, the expectation, and you both know what it's like to have an FTO that is doing what they do or a senior officer and any of these things to intervene. Um, I just, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm all behind them. Take it appeal it move it move forward and appeal it i stand behind that officer all right well thanks guys hey another uh, another great show thanks for making yourselves available i appreciate it you know i usually take this time to talk about the wounded blue the woundedblue.org it's lieutenant randy sutton from las vegas metro his 501c3 that he started helping cops out in a world of hurt suffering from things like ptsd and other medical issues the department's not helping them out with or maybe they don't even get offered retirement disability out so uh, the Wounded Blue, the WoundedBlue.org. If you're looking the volunteer support organization, uh, this is one that's not going to embarrass you. And they're doing uh, they're doing God's work. So, uh, hey, another shout out uh, to our sponsors. We do have uh, Motion DSP. 
We have golf's global ordinance.com, gunlearn.com, mymedicare.live. We're fueled by Bang Energy. Uh, the free press with Brian Burch at tampafp.com and Red Voice Media at redvoicemedia.com. Thanks, guys. Also, you guys need to check out Critical Incident Review. Um, you know, that is a, a, a wealth of knowledge for you guys. And of course, you know, Jamie's, that's his company. So criticalincidentreview.com. Hope everybody has a wonderful and a safe week, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. 